and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. I am Cammy Black and we are the only rugby podcast that cares about why PJ Masks still can't work as a team even though that's the lesson they learn at the end of every single episode. Um, joining me tonight in a huge blow to at least one commenter on the blog is Rory Baldwin. Hello Neil. And Al Kerr. Hello. Um, same commenter, Neil, uh, gave a 7 out of 10 last week, so um, you've got quite a lot to live up to, the both of you. Have you have you prepared notes? Um, yes. I have a scribble or two, yes. That is that is at least one scribble more than G and Andahey um, normally <laughs> come along with. Um, they, they just run on their wits. They do, yes, they're West Coast wits. Um, we, we, we do very well on the West Coast. We get more listeners in Glasgow than Edinburgh, so there is something for... Um, for Ember to aspire to is to catch up in the listener figures. Um, I'll just queue up some music for the... Um, I've got different music this week. After last week, we were talking about how um, they should remake Airwolf with Richie McCaw. So I've gone with this <laughs> for, our, uh, for our music. There we go. So, um, you don't forget you can visit the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Catch up on the latest Scottish rugby news and views there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at scottrugbyblog and at Black, And we're on Facebook and Instagram too. And you can also email us podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, just fade out the Airwolf theme tune there. As much as we're all enjoying it. There we go. Can you not just loop it for an hour and have it under the whole thing? <laughs> I could do it, but it would probably distract me. Um, right, we are going to start with crap call-offs, um, which um, has been a, a surprisingly popular feature. Um, so we shine a spotlight on some of the terrible excuses uh, people have for missing training uh, or games. And this week it's a Berwick Rugby special. Um, anyone listening from Berwick Rugby, you've got Gareth Hill to thank for this. Um, so... Um, someone once called off from a game because he was shoveling artificial snow at a school prom. Someone <laughs> called off because they had a cold, wet day at work and wanted to have a warm bath. <laughs> That's a prop, right? <laughs> I'm guessing. Um, the, the next one's a prop. Uh, called off on a Saturday game because they had too much to, much to eat on the Friday. <laughs> That's probably your scrum half. <laughs> yeah, they did like a sort of you know a Jacob's cracker or something. <laughs> um, let's see what else we've got. Um, someone couldn't play on a Saturday because they had a hair appointment booked. I think oh, we've no, had that's a that's a ten. That's a that's <laughs> that is, that's how that an Adam Hastings. I can't imagine what the what the forfeit or fine for that must have been. Um, <laughs> one right. one of the seconds called off for a game because he needed to go shopping with the lass. Um. And again, someone called uh, off. I think this must be fairly standard. Someone called off because they were ill, but were found later uh, that day in a pub. Um, so probably taking side. Probably, probably beer's beer's medicinal. Yeah, yeah. It's I, would, uh, I would just like to say that my uh, self-imposed exile has not been because uh, the British Great British Bake Off is on a Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Although I do spend most of Wednesdays um, either working from home to avoid it, or um, which is really awkward when I have to tweet about this podcast. I just pretty, pretty much tweet about it and then run off so I can watch it on iPlayer on a Wednesday night. Um, but anyway, rugby. We're not here to talk about the group. We don't have a great British Bake Off podcast. Maybe we should, but... Oh, spin off. I know. Um, we, um, we should... Uh, probably turn our attentions to the rugby the nights are drawn in the leaves have started to fall from the trees in Edinburgh and glasgow are putting out severely weakened teams which can only mean one thing and that is the return of international rugby um we are going to use a mix of astrology ouija and tea leaves to try and predict uh what we'll be talking about when we review the autumn tests at the end of november in a feature i'm calling zodiac killers um 
it's a bit of a different approach i think than we would normally take um al do you want to start us off what what is your one of your zodiac killers what we're we going to be talking about come the end of november i think the big one that probably is on everyone's lips is depth we're either going to prove we have it or we're going to prove we don't at the end of the uh the autumn and i i think we might be pleasantly surprised so i'm going to take a positive spin so i think at the end of it, four games coming up right um and there's going to be a, a number of players that hog's going to be missing so we'll see how others go um at uh fullback so i think that'll be interesting uh, if you compare it to last year's um autumn internationals with no mafo um uh, you know, up front uh, on the in the front row, there's a few others missing. So, looking at the squad, I was having a look at the the, the squads earlier. I mean, obviously, we're picking just from Glasgow and Edinburgh for the the Wales game, and it's 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 a relatively scratch side when you start piecing it together. There seems to be some fairly big names missing. So, I think it's a big test. So, I'm going to say that I think that'll be one of the big things. But year nay on the strength and the depth of this squad, because we've been talking about it for a while. This might be a bit of a proving. Uh, period I would suggest over the coming coming weeks. Yeah, I mean it was interesting. Ross Petty, who I think does a lot of the stats for Rugby World and various other places, tweeted out a stat about the All Blacks emptying their bench in every game since 2016. I think they've they've left no substitutes at all on their bench. But um, he had Scotland who had left 26 players on the bench in the same period. But then I I went away and looked at it, and since Gregor Townsend has taken over, there's only been nine, and of those nine, they are players that probably without exception they're fringe players and injury cover rather than sort of finishes I think he would have and I don't like that term finishes but you know players that he would he would have actually chosen to have on his bench so you've got guys like Scott Lawson and John Welsh and Ruri Jackson and even sort of Blair Kinghorn against Italy which I don't think was necessarily a game that he would have Townsend would have wanted to have thrown Kinghorn on for but I I think you're right and I think probably if you had all the players available I think we'll see Townsend emptying the bench a lot more. Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to have to rely on the, the full squad. And, and to be honest, you're, you're a year out or just under a year out from the World Cup. This is kind of crunch time, right? So this is the, this is the opportunity for some of these more fringe players. Uh, you know, even the likes of is it Adam Lang or James Lang, sorry, at Harlequins has come in. You know, if he's going to make a push now, he's been he's been sort of dropped back into the squad. I'm sure he's going to get some minutes over the autumn. He's going to really need to to make that stick, particularly in that centre um, position. So, you know, I think um, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because everyone's going to have that World Cup on their horizons, uh, and I think you might see people elevate their game slightly over this and, and then into the Six Nations, because actually, if you, if you screw it up now, you're not going to make it the Six Nations, right? You're going to be, that's your, your chance gone. For some of these guys, it's already last chance saloon if they're shooting for the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, Rory, where, what, what sort of taking on Al's point there, where, where do you think we might still be struggling for depth? Well, I think Tooney's still looking, um, as, as Al sort of alluded to there, he's still looking for a kind of 10, 12 playmaker. Um, basically, he's looking for Pete Horn, but Pete Horn's sort of gone off, gone off a bit of form at the moment. Um, he's, but he's looking for, I think he's looking for more of a ball player at 12, and um, Lang kind of fits that mould. He's, he's, I guess he's looking for guys that are potentially going to cover 10, 12, 15, um, because we're a little lacking in sort of depth in those, in, in terms of cover for those positions. We've, got, we've kind of got first choices. Um, although Dunbar is not really anybody's idea of a footballer as anyone who's ever seen him <laughs> kick uh, can, can testify to. Um, certainly fullback 
I guess the the question he'll be looking to answer there is: Is King Horn ready to play international fullback, or is he going to put someone like Maitland in and keep King Horn on the wing, um, so that he can kind of offer a little more of what he a little more of what he does best, and perhaps be less exposed to for, uh, in terms of the things he doesn't do quite so well. There was a suggestion a while back, and I can't remember where this came from, that that Hugh Jones can cover fullback, but I don't know. Um, um, he's not co- he's not played there for Glasgow yet. So I wonder whether or not that was just sort of a Chinese whisper, or whether or not that's worth a go. I'm the not sure. I mean, in in a, in a Scotland shirt, I mean, he can pretty much he can fly, walk on water, shoot <laughs> lightning bolts out his backside. You know, I mean, he can do all the sort of standard stuff. I I I would be surprised if he could cover fullback. I think there are you know, you could maybe in an emergency drop him in there, but I wouldn't be starting him there. I, I would rather have Maitland or or Kinghorn in there and give them a run certainly Maitland I think is probably a safe set of hands you know he's played there international he's played there a lot for his club uh, Hugh Jones seems like a bit of a outside bet so we're not I mean, it does, we're yeah, not his gonna... Wikipedia says he can play fullback but yeah that's Wikipedia um, <laughs> so no, I might have just written that no Duncan Weir at fullback like we saw in 2015 then no <laughs> Um, Rory, your your Zodiac killer, then your first Zodiac killer for us. Um, future talking point, I guess uh, the sensible one is: was the first was the extra fourth international worth it? Um, this is the first year in certainly in my memory that Scotland are playing four autumn internationals. Um, Wales obviously have been at it for quite a, a long time. England do it. Um, I guess England can get away with it because they have such a big player pool that actually not having access to some of their some club guys is maybe um, they can you know they've got a big enough group that they can pull in whoever they need to really. Um, Ireland do it now as well. Um, you know they they're playing playing in Chicago. Um, I think it's a it's a tricky one for Scotland because you know we don't have that many fringe players. Um, so using any players outside the international window actually harms the chances of our pro teams in the league. Um, it lays them open, as we saw at the weekend, to with uh, with Edinburgh, it lays them open to stronger opponents. Um, you know, in, injuries suddenly can become a lot more problematic for the pro teams if they've got two or three frontline guys in each posi- in the position, kind of away with the international team. Um, as, as Sandy said in his uh, his match report, it's you know it's a bit of a gamble. Um, Italy took the gamble; they released ten of their internationals back to Zebra. While uh, Cockers was, you know, he had to do without ten of his, and you got to look at whether, whether this, the the money that you know, the money that's been discussed heavily in the press this week, and which the SRE are now going to get less of because, quite rightly, they've got to give a donation to uh, Doddy's foundation. Um, you know, is that going to be is that going to be worth it? I would imagine that that the the Welsh Union will take the kind of will take a larger portion of the the gate receipts and. And stuff. I think the SRU are estimated to be getting about a million from the game out of I think potentially three million worth of um, sort of income they, they estimate. So that's probably um, nine nine hundred thousand now. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, and, but, oh, you go. Yeah, I was, I was going to say is that so, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's the financial side of it, right? So I mean, they're still going to walk away by the time they pay the players and stuff like that. They're still going to walk away with a few hundred thousand that they can plunge into. Um, even if it's into these side of things, but I, I, I take a slightly converse view to because don't take it wrong, Roddy, but you seem to be coming across quite down on the idea of Wales. Um, I'm not sure if it's just because we got pumped down there the last time. Um, 
But I think you give minutes to players. So if we're going to only pick from Glasgow and Edinburgh, right, then I think it's a great opportunity to chuck in the likes of McCallum, um, give the likes of Darcy Graham, you know, a run out. Uh, You know, the only way we're going to find out if these guys cut it or not is by putting them in. And to be honest, there's zero point in putting them in against you know Georgia or you know some of the this sort of the the level two the tier two teams uh, you know Romania's or whoever um, wash up on the shores on the rare occasions you much better chuck them in against Wales down there because they're not going to be paying probably a full strength side either from the Welsh side but I'd rather give them the minutes and at least they've, they, we can see how they go and you get one gem out of there that's a success as far as I'm concerned it's worth the trip down it's interesting as well because um, I think I was saying previously on the podcast that if you look at Scotland's fixture list next year, this is this is one of a handful of chances Scotland have to go and test themselves away from home, which is the big issue that that they have. Is mm-hmm. you know this is the you know this is the sort of Six Nations for our turn to have three home internationals, so they've only got two chances to play away from home during the Six Nations. We've got what France and Georgia away in the summer, but by that point it's too yeah. late. You know, to to sort of work out who is going to be able to cope with that kind of pressure. So I, I, I suspect part of the reason why the SR, apart from the the money, obviously part of the reason that that Townsend would be up for a, an additional international and one away from home is because it, it's going it, to, it's it's a third away game before the summer. Because by when it comes to the summer, you're really down to fine tuning things. You're not you know really working out. You know who's going by that point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, totally. It's it is going to be useful, as I says, in terms of experience for the younger guys. It's a great opportunity to give um, Hastings some more game time in a Scotland shirt um, and see, you know, get him a bit more settled in that role because he probably will have some part to play in the Six Nations and learning what it's like playing at the uh, at the Principality Stadium with a hopefully with a in front of a you know a full crowd. Um, is is going to be useful for for some of these guys because obviously we saw earlier in the year how uh, they didn't quite sort of uh, didn't quite cope cope with that. Yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting whether there is a full crowd because the, the sort of a lot of the stuff coming out of Wales at the minute is is there's a lot of scepticism from their side as well um, about whether or not it's it's worthwhile. It kind of feels a bit like a one night stand at this point where neither side's particularly into it, but we've somehow found ourselves in the bedroom, so we might as well get on with it. Um, Scotland have remembered Spoke. that Scotland have remembered that they've left their good French pants at home and they're just wearing a very functional pair of briefs they bought in the Sports Direct sale because <laughs> that was all they had clean. Uh, both sides are going to go through the motions, but no one's really satisfied. And then uh, we're going to have to go and get ourselves tested for ringworm because it's Wales, uh, and you never know where they've been. Um, <laughs> Cammy, have you ever been accused of being a romantic? <laughs> Every day. Um, <laughs> What, one, one other thing on on that game is is there going to be uh, a repeat fixture next year where Wales come up here because they, you know be. this is the first time that there's there's been sort of um, Six Nations teams playing each other but you know the 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 honourable thing would be for there to be a return fixture where Scotland host Wales presumably for the the Doddy Cup and we get two thirds of the cash and. <laughs> Rory, it's called the World Cup final, and yeah. we get the World Cup trophy itself. Maybe not next year, but the, uh, the year the year after then. Yeah, Doddy Doddy Weir Cup twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, we'll all be there for that. Um, my first one is I'm going to predict we'll all be sitting here and we're pessimistic and say asking ourselves if we're any further forward. Um, because I think potentially we'll lose to Wales and South Africa, 
make hard work against Fiji and but beat Argentina convincingly. And we'll come out of it shrugging our shoulders going, well, have we really learned anything at the end of the day? Yeah, there'll be probably some games where we learn what we knew in a positive sense and some games where we learn in a negative sense. And yeah, that's quite often the case with Scotland, though, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'm so disappointed at this negativity. (laughs) I've I've been away from the podcast for a while and it seems you guys have like, cheer up. It's going to be fine. It's going to be absolutely grand. Honestly, I... Seriously, I, I expect that we'll probably take a beating off of Wales down in, in Cardiff, but you know there are friendlies and then there are, you know friendlies, and this is very much in the the friendly friendly category of that Wales game. You know, I, it just it doesn't it has all the air of a testimonial type sort of thing rather than you know even the the standard autumn friendly. So I think mm-hmm. you that one with a pinch of salt. Um, but I fully expect us to be Argentina and Fiji. And I know Argentina have picked up, but I do fully expect us to be far, uh, Fiji and Argentina. And I, 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 to be honest, I don't think we've got anything to fear from South Africa, even with some of the absentees that we've got. I, I think we have enough. If we're putting out our strongest 15, we should be able to stand m- more than stand toe-to-toe uh, to them. I think we have a game that could quite easily cause them plenty of problems. I I. I I think we'll be pleasantly surprised out the back of this Autumn Internationals. I think there's more going on than we're maybe giving them credit for. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I think South Africa, I think you've, I mean, it's it's the one people would pick out anyway as being the main test, but it's given where South Af- how flaky South Africa have been, particularly away from home, I think that's, we haven't played, how many, it's been, was it four years since we played South Africa? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. I think um, we've had those horrible, you know, um, wins over them in the past at Murrayfield. I think there was one where we just—I think it was Chris Patterson—just kicked all the points, and that when it was all defence. So it's it's a real proper test of the, sort of the way Scotland are playing now, and the new Scotland um, sort of since Fern Cotter took over. To, you know how whether or not they can front up and sort of not be bullied by a team like South Africa because that's where we've struggled in the past is the physicality, and and, and that's that's going to be the test. Yeah, I mean, the last time they played was the World Cup. Yeah. Um, down in Newcastle. And, and we got absolutely yeah, bullied. Bullied, yeah. And it's interesting, actually, um, I was listening to the, the pod you guys last week and I'd noticed it myself in the, the games, um, the Glasgow games, you know, that, that was a that kind of mm. criticism was that was thrown at them a lot, that they were easily sort of out-muscled and actually been quite pleasantly surprised by the way that they've, um, they've kind of stood up for themselves and, and got, got stuck in well um as a as a forward pack and edinburgh we obviously know in the last year you know they're not afraid to to get stuck in either so i think it could be it could be actually it could be quite interesting whether the south africans will be turning up expecting us to you know to to kind of blow us out out of the way with the physicality um or whether they have been doing their homework i'm not sure yeah um al your next um zodiac killer yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I had a couple of others that were probably looking beyond uh, beyond Scotland, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with Scotland uh, at the moment, and I think focusing in uh, on uh, the ten position. And I'll be. I think I'll be really interested. Are we coming out the back of these autumn internationals saying, "By Christ, the 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 mercurial to use that word, uh, <laughs> Finn Russell, is he brought that you know racing form." back to the to the international to the international arena are we going to come out the back of these autumn internationals and start saying he's genuinely world class is he going to nail it in every you know the three games he's likely to play some part and i'll be really interested to see whether that because he, he he seems to be pulling trees up in, in you know in france he seems to be getting rave reviews um 
you sincerely hope that he brings that form on a consistent basis because he was always accused if you think back to Six Nations and you know before the England game everyone top because obviously come off the back of Wales and a somewhat sort of sketchy performance against France and everyone's going oh well you know he's a very hit and miss but really interested to see can he come back and take that consistent form he's been putting in in France and then do that consistency at an international shirt because if he is I'm telling you guys that World Cup is is right on the horizon and a player like him can get you really, really deep into a competition because he can split defenses with his with his eye. You've seen you've all seen you've seen the you know the the chip um, with the outside of the boot. You know for Racing a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> if he's taken that level of confidence and that level of consistency into an international arena, your whole team sings. You know, yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see where that materialises or, or whether he goes back to being you know hit and miss, which he has been in a Scotland shirt to a degree. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's 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 a it's an interesting point. I was having a look. Somebody, I think it was Rugby Pass or someone, they put up a, a kind of world heading into the Autumn Internationals kind of World XV um, team, and I thought, oh, I'll go and have a look and see who's in there. And I think they had, you know, they had the gold, silver, and bronze in each position, and they had Hugh Jones as a bronze in the centres, and that was the only Scott. And you know, fair enough. Um, I wasn't really expecting, but I thought I would have thought Finn would have, you know, got an honor, fallen under honourable mentions, but. It is that thing about uh, consistency, and you're totally right. If he can, if he can kind of harness a little bit, a little bit more consistency, we're not, you know, we're not trying to change the way he plays, but just if he can play the way he plays without making quite as many mistakes, you know, he could be, he could be ridiculously good. And as Al says, um, you know, a couple of a couple of great games, uh, you know, we can't expect him to play kind of world class sort of um rugby every sort of every game in a every game in back to back in a world cup you know four week for um four tests in four weeks or whatever in the in the group stages it would be it would be quite a lot to expect him to to kind of have that level but if we've got we've got um adam hastings playing pretty well there's no reason he couldn't step into a game um and and do a bit and i think yeah i'm actually that Finn, Finn, seeing what Finn's form is like coming back over from France is actually one of the things that's got me genuinely quite excited about the about the autumn. Kind of regardless of the results, um, it, it's seeing guys like that and just having a look at some new. Um, obviously, having a look at Blade Thompson, um, seeing seeing how some of these guys are are going. And George Horn's another one who's you know he's been absolutely on fire for Glasgow. Um, is he going to get more chances? Obviously, we've got Greg Laidlaw coming back in who's. You know, as a steady hand at the tiller, but um, Greg's not going to be there against Wales, so it's likely that it'll be between Horn and Price for that one. Uh, I think it'll be Price, right? Yeah, did, probably. Did Horn not get released back to Glasgow at the weekend? So he, he did this did, weekend. He had a yeah. good game though. <clears throat> yeah, he was. He scored two tries or something against. And Boston, I guess, so there's no reason. I mean, there's no reason he couldn't start against Wales. You'd probably, if the plan is then to sort of start with Greg against Fiji, because then he's going to get a rest. I, mean, I think the, the the thing with with Finn is whether is the test this autumn is whether or not you can play him at the same time as a, as a Horn or a Price because that's where he struggled in the past for international level is he's played very well when he's had the sort of steadying hand yeah. of, of of Laidlaw outside of him and it's whether or not you can have I think it's like we were saying last week where we were sort of mooting well I was mooting the idea of of having uh, Hastings at ten and uh, Russell at twelve. Um, can you have that much chaos on the pitch at one time in you know for for the, for the majority of the game fine bring it on in the last 20 minutes when game's opening up but but can you sort of start with a horn and a russell 
or do you need Russell to have a, a laid law outside of him just sort of telling him not to be so daft now and again? I think you I think yeah I think that's crazy talk right <laughs> I'm sorry Russell at 12 yeah, no, he's, he's, he's reasonable defensively he's not solid enough defensively to play at 12 so I think you leave yourself incredibly vulnerable I, I'm sure it'd be a very entertaining 15 minutes but I think once we probably <laughs> leak you know three tries as, as you know somebody runs through some fairly large holes uh, you would have to change things around um, I, I think you can play Price and uh, Price and, and, and Russell together I, I don't really see much but to be honest we're going to have to right because they're going to have to learn to play beside each other because russell's probably um you know still a considerable distance ahead of of hastings you know hastings is is coming on very nicely but he's not at the level that russell's at um so i can't see him abdicating his 10 position you know as you've suggested you know laidlaw is going to be He's getting towards the the latter years of his career, so you're then looking at who's coming in, and is it Horn or is it Price? Um, and both of those players have played with Finn at Glasgow, but they're going to have to learn to play at an international level because they're likely to be the key two that are going to rotate around in that nine position um, as Greg Lalo starts to take a back, you know, as a back seat. So um, whether they want to or not, we're going to have to find a way of stringing those two together. I think moving Russell away from ten though probably negates his ability to influence the game in the same way yeah i think that was i was i was shouted down to be fair it was absolute it was the absolute bobbin section where um we're not entirely serious anyway but um yeah <laughs> um, i point you one of my um my other um zodiac killer was um blade thompson and and i i think we're i'm going to predict that the, at the end of this um this tournament, we're going to be quite excited about the prospect of a backline of of Barkley, um, Thompson, and Watson. I think that if if all three are fit for the World Cup, I think if you if 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 Blade Thompson really is the ball carrying it that we think he can be for us, then that back row is going to take some stopping. Will it have the legs? So Barkley will be what thirty two, thirty three come the World Cup. He must be around about that point. Uh, Blade Thompson's no spring chicken. He's late, what, late 20s? He must be 28, 29. What's 20, Watson? Watson's 27, 28. So I've just thrown out there. Do you have the mobility if Barkley's in there? Is he going to give you the, the breakaway potentially from the, I'm presuming he'll play, what, six? Yeah. Yeah, Thompson and uh, Watson are both 27. Thompson, Thompson's slightly younger than I thought. I thought he was older than that. That's fair Barclay's, enough. Okay. I mean, Barkley's thirty-two, so I mean, it's is it, it's whether you could. I think he's he's going to be captain for the World Cup. I'm guessing if he's fit, yeah. If he's fit, he's had. I mean, and and I say, I mean, not that it, you know, it's never fortunate that a player's injured, but from his point of view, there is a positive in the fact that he he's had such a long layoff because now he, you know, he he's predicting fit back fit for the Six Nations, so that's a that's a nice wee run up to the World Cup without having a full season behind him. So at his age, that is, he's going to have enough yeah. game time to be match fit, but not not have this, not be sort of overly affected or overworked. Um, it's his last. I mean, it's, it's his last World Cup. Clearly, it's his last World Cup. I don't think we'll see him beyond that. Um, but whether or not you need to have, I mean, obviously you're going to have to have people coming off the bench, like maybe possibly Richie, possibly Bradbury, but. To have that plan beyond the World Cup, but for the I don't for the World Cup, I would be happy with Barkley six, Watson seven, and and Thompson at eight. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's it's maybe unfortunate that Magnus Bradbury got injured uh, for Edinburgh a, a week a week or so ago, because um, he was he was you know suddenly starting to to look like the the player that, that everyone's kind of talked about in terms of his his potential, um, and it was yeah it was good to good to see him. It looked like he'd maybe picked up a bit of pace from somewhere. He was you know he was flying flying about the park um, and starting to look really really impressive because I thought last year he was kind of outshone by Richie a bit, and you know Richie's another. Um, pretty exciting talent for the future so there's potential that I guess one of those guys you know we can't discount Ryan Wilson Tooney loves Ryan Wilson so he's probably going to be there or thereabouts in terms of um the bench I guess you know the three that you've talked about are probably everyone's ideal ideal blend but and then I you've got the and then, th- then you've got Matt Ferguson as well yeah yeah he's he's starting to come onto a game and he's as you guys were saying on the pod last week he's still only you know early 20s he's 20 Ridic- ridiculous it's, ridic- yeah. it's ridiculous yeah. so i mean you know that things are things are looking okay hopefully blade thompson comes in and, and is impressive and is i guess um you know is the next john hardy rather than the next daryl marfold but we'll, we'll find that <laughs> or, or even the next hugh blake <laughs> um, he's still there as an option you never know you never know um yeah. uh, rory your last your last zodiac killer my last Zodiac killer was um, what future talking point was the reason that we lost to Fiji because we played Hastings and Russell at 10 and 12. <laughs> <laughs> I, wouldn't rule it, I really wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, yeah, I think I was right. We'll probably, we'll, we should, we should be able to beat Fiji, but um, yeah, it'd be good to see, see Bill Mata and uh, Uncle Big Nax in, in full flight at Murrayfield. Um I think you know Fiji are gonna. It's always tricky with the the sort of Pacific Island nations coming into the World Cup years because suddenly they get access to their players and they get you know a bit more training time together and they always they always kind of come good around the World Cup. So um, it'd be interesting to see if Fiji can kind of do that because they've had a lot you know they've had a lot of success in the sevens the kind of World Cup winning the gold the gold medal at the Olympics and um, and that, whether that can have a kind of knock on effect in in kind of organisation of fifteens in their in their country because they've always been the kind of one that's 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 underperformed at World Cup. Samoa and Tonga uh, were, were been pretty good at the last couple, and it'd be good to see um, it'd be good to see Fiji coming on because I mean they're you know they've they've got ridiculous talent now. Yeah, I mean I'm halfway through Ben Ryan's book Seven Seven, which is it's well worth a read. It's and I think it's interesting the sorts of things he has to do to overcome the cultural issues in Fiji, and that's the yeah. cultural issues like guys going out on the lash and whole families staying on hotel bedroom floors um of players you know while they're while they're away and you know people being led in prayer you know woken up at two in the morning to have prayers for some local you know tribe leader and he had to sort of like shut all that down so it's whether or not they can implement the things that he set in motion in fiji if there was a sort of carried over into the 15s i think then yeah that watch out because i think fiji could be a real force but it's whether or not i think it's quite the impression I get from the book is fairly political over there. They've got sort of the president interferes quite a lot in what's going on, and yeah. So uh, if they, if they can, you know, if they can stick the course, then I think they'll quite happily sit comfortably within the top ten in the world. But if they sort of lapse back into their old ways, then mm-hmm. I think you probably yeah. see them back sort of bobbing around the top fifteen. But I mean, I think that's the problem. This this conversation's had at this point of every World Cup cycle. And then they come and they go. They throw the ball around a bit, have a nice kit, go home. Largely, I, 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 I'm yeah. I, I think from a Scotland perspective on that Fiji game, though, guys. I mean, if you the comparison last year would be the Samoa game, right? Mm. That was the first the first game up we had 
um, last year I was at that match. And I mean, that was 50% a really good performance from Scotland and 50% an absolute stinker. Defensively, we were absolutely rotten. And I really like to see have the team, you know, can they go into that game at home, near enough a full house, and, you know, so actually do a profession. Mm-hmm. What's that, sorry? Is it sold out? Yeah, it's sold out. So it's sold out. So, I mean, A, that tells you where the, you know, the, the, that's, you know it's an amazing sign. When was the last time we sold out for Fiji, right? Um, Never. But I, yeah. So I would be very, very keen to see, can they go out and do a professional job against Fiji? Yeah. So, yeah, get the points on the board, but we don't need to play champagne rugby against Fiji. I'd actually be more interested to see, can we keep them out? Can we lock the door? Because I think that's probably going to be more telling from a Scotland development perspective. Because last year against v- uh, against Samoa, they got sucked into you know a free-flowing sort of carnival. Um, and it became a hell of a lot closer than it should have been because they lost their heads. And that, I think, is because if they do the same against Fiji, the lessons have not been learned. Yeah, And that's the lessons they need to learn. Uh, and I, I think it'll be an interesting comparison to last year's game against Samoa. Yeah, yeah. I just having a wee look at the at the thing, and it's interesting. You know, they they went out and they got the very best talent that was available in Ben Ryan to to get them, you know, prepared for the Olympic um, for the Olympic sevens. Um, if you look at the moment, their current their 15s coach is Gareth Baber, who was coach of Cardiff Blues uh, and Hong Kong before he took over at Fiji. So there's a lot of talk that uh, Ben Ryan's actually. Um, is potentially kind of eyeing a, a role in the in 15s as, as a kind of new challenge. Uh, maybe they should just hire him as the coach of the 15s side as well. Yeah, um, it's interesting because he was um, he was interviewed for the Edinburgh job after Solomon's went. Was he? Yeah. Oh, really? It's on record. Yeah, they wanted him to. He sort of talked about the fact they wanted him to come in and sort of play free the sort of free flowing rugby that Cockers has sort of got them playing and, and tie into the Townsend model of of a scotland way of playing and he 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 got very close but it wasn't quite the role for him i don't think and he was i mean i'm so carry on so well, he was down at the last two in harlequins as well apparently this season as well so i would have thought you know edinburgh is a fairly safe role for ben ryan i mean when you're that ginger you need to be somewhere with you know minimal sun i mean i thought another <laughs> another stint in the fiji is going to do him right i mean he's gonna, <laughs> i'm surprised he, i think that'd rule him out from that yeah level one um, in terms of the squad, I mean, we've, I've had a couple of um, emails about the squad and after the squad announcement. Is there anyone that sort of surprised either of you in terms of who who wasn't there? Yeah, um, I always struggle with the squads because I've forgotten about because there's so, you know there's so many and he adds all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, I, too many surprises. I guess Luke Hamilton was maybe a surprise, but. Did you not say that he's been seen, seen training someone with him? Someone had said they've been seen. Well, I, I, someone saw him in a photo. Or I something. saw him in a photo. Which, you know, which the, you know, a lot of times these guys are just there because they're on the fringes and they're invited to come along and hold a tackle bag. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the one query we get time and time again, and I've got a theory on this, and I'm keen to see what you guys think is is Josh Strauss, who I think is fit at the minute and he is playing, but the, this sort of the 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 fact that he hasn't made, I think, the last couple of. Scotland squad not since I think the last time he played actually was Fiji away yeah, and, uh, I think there's a question over his stomach at international level I don't think he's got the heart for it yeah I think he's a great club player but I think he's always been underwhelmed at international level and I think he has been made to carry the can a wee bit for that Fiji performance to a degree because he, you know, he's kind of been ostracised since but you know, if you think about this sort of this swashbuckling rampaging you know Harry Loon that was at Glasgow that never really materialised at the international yeah, I mean, there, level. There was, that, I, there was that one game against France was about 
was probably his best best performance in a Scotland shirt. Yeah, I think that's I, I that's my sort of theory on it as well. I think it's a it's a, it's not that he's not pulling his weight. It's not that he's a, he's a bad guy or or disliked in any way. I think it, it comes down to sort of the, the the a cultural issue that he he's not he doesn't somehow he's not fitting in with the type of player that Townsend wants and whether that's because he's he's just not showing the same commitment as others whether it's because he's you know not conforming with the behaviors somehow and he doesn't have to necessarily be a bad guy at that it's just whether if he's not sort of fitting in with the behaviors and I think Duncan Weir is a similar one in that he's play, yeah he's playing very well at club level I know there's been some mad shouts for him to sort of be called up again but I think I think we're done with that right I think that's he's yeah. he's gone that's that's old Scotland I think, I think yeah, so. yeah the so. ability of Hastings to, to, to play the same sort of game is going to I think that's going to put paid to, to Dunkey's career sadly yeah I'd be interested to see what James Lang can do because he, he had a bit of time at 10 didn't he was it um, the Argentina game he came on for Hastings I think um, mm. plus then you've got I mean it's that question would you rather have who would you rather have at 10 if it came to sort of an injury crisis Pete Horn or Duncan Weir uh, Horn I'd, I'd, probably, I'd probably pick I'd probably pick Horn I know there's a lot of uh, I know John and Ian are not big fans of the Horn at 10 bandwagon but um, yeah I would probably pick, pick Horn too uh, yeah I think Duncan Weir just doesn't he fit into this Scotland side in the same way I think it I think Horn's a, a more an easier fit. Yeah, I'd like to see. I'm looking to see. I'm looking forward to seeing Sam Skinner go yeah. at some point. I think I'd be interested to see how he goes. Uh, I've seen a few comments in some of the more uh, in the national press, <clears throat> stroke English press, um, <laughs> but a few people suggesting that uh, that's maybe one that's slipped through the fingers um, down south. He seems to, you know, he's young as well. I mean, he's only about 22 or something, right? Sam yeah. Skinner. So, you know, I think he's he's definitely worth a run. Um, and I'd like to see whether the, um, if, if somebody can actually convince me of these back of these internationals that Chris Harris, A, exists, <laughs> B, can sort of materialise into a Scotland shirt because I, I don't get it, guys. Tell me what I'm missing. Oh, he's still, he's still in the squad. I didn't yeah. even realise he was in there. Yeah, he's still in the squad. I don't, yeah, he's, don't know. I think it's. I think he's going to be one of those ones where you know, I was listening to Blood and Mud this week. They've they've sort of chosen their top seven autumn international talking points from from over the years, and they were reading out the Scotland team from the Australia match in two thousand and nine, and even I couldn't remember some of the one of the centres that they were naming. I think that's probably going to be the Chris Harris question in a couple of years' time. Is you're going to look at it and go, who who was that? You know, I don't. Was I, like, who was it? Like Rob Rob Dewey and Andy Henderson or somebody. Yeah, uh, Gro- Grove. Someone Grove. Oh, Alex Grove. Alex, Alex Grove. Grove. He was down there. He was down. He was at Worcester. Yeah. Worcester was it? Yeah, that's he right. Was, uh, and he had a loan. He had a spell. Came back up to Edinburgh to try and get a few more. Get back into the sort of Scotland reckoning, but didn't didn't get picked enough for Edinburgh. Um, but yeah, he would. I mean, it's those were dark times for Scotland in the centre, but he was he was quite a useful player. Yeah. Did we not win that game against Australia? Well, they did, was that yes, not the that game, was part was that not the game Matt Gittle kicked the last, missed a, a conversion in the last, with the last kick of the game from in front of the posts? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. I have a recollection of a drunken phone call from the stands, though. Were you not at that one? I was. Um, <laughs> there was a, an incredibly, there was, uh, if I remember correctly, there were about 30,000 people singing incredibly um, vile things about uh, Matilda. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all having a fair turn, I believe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> 
Um, go on. Um, Graham Love got in touch on Twitter to say he reckons three out of four wins this autumn. I think that is the absolute minimum we need to be targeting. Um, either of you think we'll go four out of four or three out of four? Do you think it's a reasonable prediction? I think. On you go. I'm probably going to say the same thing. I think three out of four is. I think we'll lose in Wales and I think we'll win our home games. Rory. Um, I've actually got written down here two out of four would be acceptable for me, but luckily Gregor Townsend has higher standards than me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would like to think that we can do three out of four, but I'm trying to work out whether I would prefer a win over South Africa or a win over Wales in Wales. Yeah. In, I mean, it would it would be one of those ones where you'd say, ah, we beat you in Wales, and they'd go, yeah, but it wasn't our top team and it didn't mean anything. <laughs> and you'd go, okay, fair enough. So probably I would, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm with Al. I would accept three three home wins would be, we could always just pretend, almost pretend the Wales game isn't happening. We'll move on then from the autumn. We've we've had a, an absolute bobbins this week. Um, it's a part of the show where people get in touch and give us a, a ridiculous statement or, or opinion for us to sit in judgment on. Uh, this week, it's, it's Douglas Luke who's asked us to go easy on him for this. He said, am I, <laughs> am I alone in Scotland and quite liking James Haskell? I think he's a great character in the game. If he was Scottish, we'd love him. Um, I've got the bleep button ready for this, Al. Uh, what's your take on this? I would suggest that James Haskell's a vacillating <laughs> strudel. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, he's a buffoon. Um, anyone that, you know, that, that was at the ref cam in that game against Italy where he spent, you know, 60 minutes, I think it was, along with Dylan Hartley trying to get the referee to explain the rules of the game to him. Um, I was hilarious. But uh, yeah, I just yeah no can't stand him. No, nope. sorry. Rory, Don't care do you, if he was Scottish. Rory, do you not. think do you think if he was Scottish, you'd, we'd love him? Um, I was I, you know I was trying to think of of someone who is who is the equivalent in the sort of in the Scottish Scottish ranks because I mean we've got guys who are sort of a bit confident guys like Hoggy and Finn and Ryan I Wilson. guess Adam, Adam Hastings maybe Ryan Wilson. Um, but yeah, and we, and we, you know, we all love we all love those guys. But it's a different sort of, it's a di- it's almost like a sort of, um, it's like a personal per- personal approach to marketing yourself as a persona rather than necessarily just being confident as a as a player. Um, I guess maybe it's something it's similar to to um, Maro Atoji, who you guys were were speaking about last week. He's kind of cultivating this persona for himself as the kind of bad boy, and he doesn't, you know, he seems to quite like that. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think you could say, you know, Xander Figerson. He's he's not really the bad boy of Scottish rugby. Um, I don't think we have an equivalent. I think, to be fair, Scottish people would quite like people to be taken down a peg or two. So I think we probably would we would just um, sit and make jokes about him if he was Scottish. Yeah. He's the guy that turns. We all have friends at this, right? And if Rory says it's me, then you know, I'm going to be <laughs> most upset. But hey, <laughs> right? So this is probably setting myself up. But we all have that. We all in our group of friends. There's always that one friend that you sit and they go, oh, yeah, they're a great guy, right? But in small doses. That's James Haskell, right? Yeah. You turn up to your party, you'd be like, all right, you're, you know, this is good. Yeah, yeah, great, great, James. Right, you know, winter taxi. Um, you know, within half an hour, everyone be like, all right, okay. And he'd be standing on his own in the kitchen as everyone else keeps moving from room to room to avoid him eventually. And that probably is what happens in the sort of England training camps. They all go off to do weights. James walks in to do 20 minutes and everyone starts drifting off to go and do tackle bags. And then James comes along and then everyone starts drifting off to do passing drills. You, you know, he would be just, yeah, yeah, no, he's, he's a tube. 
I yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think he's he's sort of adopted a, an Alan Partridge persona without realizing that a Partridge is a is a character to be laughed at rather than with. <laughs> and I think it's that thing of just below the surface you get this impression that if if the joke was ever on him, he wouldn't be down with that. I've now got an image of James Haskell in the car park at Twickenham, just sitting there going, Eddie! 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 Well, Eddie! Been, he has been dropped, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, I, can, I, I can't, well, I say I, I can recommend, I can't recommend, um, because I wouldn't I wish this on anybody, but if he has a YouTube channel, and I, I, I still to this day cannot work out if it's, if it's deliberate or not. But it it's like watching Alan Partridge. It's it's in some ways funnier than Alan Partridge because it's real. There's like things of him driving a digger and reviewing cars, and it's yeah, it's yeah. We we definitely don't have anyone like that in Scotland. No, we've got yeah. we've got Ali Partridge that I'm trying to make happen, um, and which is uh, Ali Price and his uh, love of the uh, Lexus and the fact that he um, put on loads of weight when things weren't going his way. But that's as uh, and he's from Norwich. <laughs> That's as far as that goes. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, though. In fairness, yeah. that's that's more than one tenuous tenuous connection. <laughs> that's that's true, at least two. He hasn't lived in a travel tavern, to my knowledge, though. Jeez. If anyone knows if Valley Price has ever spent a significant amount of time in a in a travel tavern, then do let us know. Um, where's Dougie Donnelly? Then uh, we'll move on. I think we've we've decided that that uh, Douglas's um, views on James Haskell is absolute bobbins. Um, yeah, sorry, Douglas. Uh, where's Dougie Donnelly? Rugby commentator Sam Roberts got in touch on Twitter to say he'd actually seen Dougie Donnelly um, on the telly presenting some golf on Sky. Lovely to see the big man in action. Um, Friend of the pod, Graham Love, got in touch to say that he'd seen the old Embra in Parma at the weekend. Um, Ross, uh, I get Michael Bradley in charge as well of Zebra. Exactly, yeah. Michael Bradley rubbing off. All, all, All the old hits. Yeah. Um, actually, Douglas Luke um, sort of did email as well with these sort of uh, ruminations on the weekend's game and was highlighting Ross Ford getting flattened by a 20 year old back row um, who was making his debut. And that was, I, I, I was dipping in and out of the game and I did see that and it, it did put paid to my um, hashtag 40 2019 hashtag Ford More Years campaign that I, was, uh, I had planned for Twitter uh, this year. Um, <laughs> Should we, should we do hands in the ruck then? Because we're, we're, we're pressed for time as always. Um, we've had a couple in on the um, on on the Twitters. Um, Andy Niven said his hands in the ruck was the way I'd pr- pronounced Bridgehue on the last <laughs> podcast. That's Bridgehue. So uh, apologies. Bridgehue. Uh, so apologies to Sterling for that. Um, Graham Love said Glasgow's game management in the last couple of minutes, putting themselves in a position that allowed the ref to be a hometown hero there's a lot I mean there's been a lot of gifts and bits of footage about that last sort of split second of that match um I, I mean I think you Al do you I mean is that is that Glasgow's fault believing themselves in that position you can't really blame the referee too much can you this is the CJ Stander yes um act of blatant skullduggery right yeah you know I, I literally saw this about 20 minutes before we started this podcast right so I'd uh... Uh, a colleague, an Irish colleague, who messaged me to ask my opinion on it. It's cheating. It's blatant, fragrant, New Zealand-level cheating. 
right? He does. He barely touches the man with the the, the the ball. It's a borderline no arms tackle. I mean, you know, I applaud him. He got away with it. You know, they they bought a ticket. They won the raffle, right? <clears throat> That's it. Referee should have spotted it. I I I, I don't think he cast to get the referee because the shoes on the other hand, you would hope you get away with it. But you're shoes on the other feet, even. Um, but yeah, it's cheating. But fair play, you know, swings and roundabouts. It's not worth getting too um, exercised over. I would suggest. Yeah, I'd like to see us have that level of game awareness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, if he'd, if he had sort of, if his, if his swinging, swinging arm had been less noticeable, um, it would have been, you know, very smart. But actually, he was taking quite a risk by swinging his arm like that, you know, with the current, current climate in terms of tackles, as it, because it made what he did, or it should have made what he did more obvious to the officials, but it didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was. Uh, Streetwise, as we like to say, um, there's not there's not much you can do about it if the ref the ref sees it. Um, it's one of those things you think should there be like a coach's challenge for the TMO like you get in American football, because that you you've got to think that penalty would be reversed if a TMO had looked at it, but it wasn't. So yeah, Glasgow probably shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have allowed themselves to to get in into that position from you know they were they were doing pretty well up to that point. There were 14 points ahead with 20 minutes to go. You lose yeah. the game from there. You you can't really blame anyone else. No. Yeah. Um. Go on then, Alan. What's your uh, Al? What's your uh, hands in the ruck then? Right. Well, so that was going to be one. I had three that I picked out. Not that I was going to run all three, but that was that was going to be my number one. So you've taken it off. Um. Uh, and I apologies. I've not heard the last uh, podcast or so. So you can tell me this is covered. But anyone spoken about Bath? No. At all. No. Ah, excellent. I mean, right. So I'm, I'm hoping everyone's seen. Well, I, oh, no, did somebody we did. did. No, was it, is this about writing the letter to the European Rugby? Yes. Yes. I want the game. Re- I want the game replayed because you know I have a tube that plays in my 15 and yeah. can't you know dot a ball down. Yeah. All right. Well, you covered it. But, we covered you know, it last week. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, it's the death of the game of that nonsense goes ahead. I hope they got laughed, but they did get laughed out of the room. But I, you know, I seriously hope when they. You know, whoever wrote that letter on behalf of Bath, when they walk into the boardrooms up and down England, that they get pointed at and laughed at. Nonsense, total and utter bobbins. What was What's your other his one? name? Uh, um, the money from France is always getting in trouble for for bringing the game into disrepute. Murad, Murad Bujolage. Yeah, he'll probably take him for a pint now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, what did you have a third one? Did you say Al? I did. Uh, the other one. The other one. It was just. I'm intrigued to see what other people's thoughts are. You know, the, the calendar changes, which have obviously been floated around recently, and this whole move to have, you know, a desire to have more competitive rugby. So I know they've been rumblings about, you know, a World League type or another sort of world competition type to sort of fill the gaps between the World Cup years. I, I can see the, the, the driver behind it, but I, I quite like the fact that the number of really, com- you know, actual competitive games at the international level is limited. I think it preserves the value of those. I still, I still think, not anyone would suggest an autumn international or a summer tour is not competitive, right? You know, you, you look at the the two home games that Scotland had last year in the in the autumn internationals, and you know, the game against particularly against New Zealand. I mean, that was competitive from both sides to 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 about as far a degree you can possibly get. I think sort of forcing more formal competition onto it is is i don't think it's good for the players but i think it under undervalues the rest of your product if you're going to look at it from a commercial commercial perspective so i i have my i have my doubts that um that's the route we should be going down i i personally like the traditional keeping the, the truly competitive games 
you know, few and far between effectively. So you, you get the real value out of them, right? I think it means more. I, think, I don't want to see that diluted. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would agree. I think I think the other thing is that because I mean tests are quite unique to rugby. I, mean, I was probably I'm thinking maybe cricket. You might have these sort of, mm. you know the one-off matches, but there's always something for state. But yeah, this idea that you just have these one-off test matches, but they are for something because it's because rugby's such a small sport. If you think about it, there's what probably 15 teams in the world, sort of who who re you know probably got the top within the top 10. You've got scope for quite a lot of movement, and then probably from say eight to fifteen, there's scope for teams to come and go as well. And it's that's that's what that's what you're always playing for. You're always playing for for points, aren't you? To try and jostle your way either into a high enough spot so when the World Cup comes around, you're in a reasonable pool. So there is always something at stake. It's not like football where this you know you've got probably got the top fifty in the world. You know where Scotland sit now in football, but it's such a there's so many more teams playing, and so the, the 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 gap between those teams is so narrow. Whereas in rugby, you've got yeah within. The, I mean, think how much the top five of, of of world rugby has changed, even in the last few years. I mean, what we were, we were outside the top ten under Scott Johnson, I think, at one point, mm. and now we're oh, yeah. what, now we're bob, we've bobbed around quite comfortably for the last couple of years between about what. Six and I think we, fifth and seventh. Fifth and seventh. We've 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 is our sort of seems to be sort of like where we've settled on. So I don't so, think yeah. I, there's always something to play for. So I don't get why you need to add an extra element of competition outside the World Cup, Six Nations, or Super Rugby. Yeah, I mean, it actually, just it's like talking about those, and you, you think about where Scotland is now, and we're sort of you know, you know, top five or six, right? I mean, we might have slipped down slightly, but it's going to be you know by borderline margins but i think were we not in pool three yeah for that world cup in 2015 did we not yeah. uh, samoa we're in eight yes, in the world samoa, yes, were we not nine or ten and we and we 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 won a watch yeah um, the dangerous floater <laughs> <laughs> there's an image well that's yeah. how that's why you ended up with wales england and australia in the same group because i think was it wales at the time were quite low we're, yeah. we're having a bit of a bad time and, uh, and it's happened to England again, right? The next World Cup group, they've got France and Argentina. Yeah. Uh, and Argentina are on the bounce back, you know? <laughs> so it really sucks to be them. Um, which <laughs> obviously crossed. my heart bleeds. We're ever hopeful that, that France will be on the bounce back as well. Yeah. Uh, never, you never you never know. Um, will Carling might turn it all around. Um, <laughs> yeah. Rory, your, your hand's in the ruck then. Um, my hand's in the ruck is that Scotland won't win the uh, World Rugby Try of the Year despite having scored the best try of the year of the four nominated. Um, the World Rugby came out today with the list of four tries. Uh, two All Blacks, one by Ireland and uh, Scotland's uh, try against England in the Calcutta Cup with it, with that Finn Russell pass. Um, for me, it's clearly the best one. I guess everyone's probably going to have their own opinion on that, but yeah, I just—it's just one of these things. It probably—they won't look past. Uh, I would—I'd say probably the the Bowden Barrett one, but actually the the Irish one and the the other All Black one. I didn't think they were that great. Um, the Irish, the Irish one, as somebody, in fact, about a million Irish people pointed out to me on Twitter earlier when I when I sort of suggested that it was a conspiracy, and they only got only got on the short list because it was the ingenuity of doing the Johnny Sexton loop and not actually doing the Johnny Sexton loop but actually dumbing it to a prop or something so they actually did something different and therefore that that makes it the third best or the best try of the year 
and you have to remember if they don't win, then there'll be candlelit vigils all over the island of Ireland. Um, yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I, I've not seen that one, but um, I think there's a lot going for that Scotland try because, I mean, that's a true team try because if you think about it, yeah. you've got... It's from a. Is it not from a quick penalty? And then uh, base no, it's uh, a base of a. Was that a turnover at the a turnover at a ruck? Yeah. And then played out. Then you've got you know obviously Russell's outrageous pass. You've got Hugh Jones's. Uh, it was Jones's timing, wasn't it? That he got him away. He yeah. gets scragged. Um, Wilson plays goes, from half. Goes, is it Wilson? Because yeah, goes out. Then McAnally makes a you know a, a three quarters break. And just before, just, well, in fact, just just before the McAnally break, I think Barkley gets tackled and spins in the tackle and does this beautiful little soft offload out the back. Great. Before yeah. that, so yeah. And then you've got McAnally's break, and then you've got Finn Russell's sort of over-the-top pass to, to Maitland, who then beats the despairing tackle and gets in at the opposite corner. So, I mean, that's gone from one tra- touchline to the other touchline, all the way up the other end, and all the way back across to the other touchline again. You know, it's, it is... And it's all within the space of about 45 seconds. Yeah, I mean, the, the one of the New Zealand ones uh, is... Scored by uh, was Brody Retallick, and yeah. you know it's a good length of the pitch, length of the pitch effort. There's some good stuff on, but it's it's over four or five phases. Um, yeah, the second the second Barrett one is pretty is pretty special. But actually, um, I would recommend uh, checking out um, there's a guy Paul Edison who put up uh, who is who writes in in France about French rugby, and he put up one scored by the uh, French under twenties that was uh, superb and was probably equal of, of any of them. Um, is the um, is the judging panel the same judging panel that we talked about last week that are also judging <laughs> uh, women's player of the year? Definitely some some sorry Clive Woodward picks in there. Well, yeah, because yeah, I was gonna say because um, I think it is. I think it's the same panel decide all the awards. I think I might be wrong on this. So you got Sir Clive, Fabian Golf, George Gregan, yeah. John Smith, Brian O'Driscoll, Richie McCaw, Clive Woodward, and Gus. Uh, love me, ladies, Pichot. I, th- I think uh, I think the players players association or something the the um, the rug- rugby players association, but yeah, it's probably still the same people coming up the shortlist. Yeah. Um, speaking of Irish conspiracies, um, Chloe got in touch via email to say her hands in the ruck was Ulster and by extension the IRFU poaching non-playing staff from Scotland. Dan McFarland uh, yeah. now uh, John, John Johnny Petrie's gone as well to be Ulster CEO from 2019. Um, I actually. Well, no, you go on. I was well, yeah. You know, he he was a Glasgow band, really, wasn't he? Yeah, that's true. Um, I think. I mean, I think you can probably expect Dan McFarland. It was a step up for him anyway, and I think Johnny Peach. I, I was I was thinking about it. Probably he's uh, from him. He's probably achieved all he wants to at Edinburgh. I mean, he's got, a, you know, a, a, the the team are in a much better place, and he's delivered the stadium. And once they've got planning permission, there's not really an awful lot to do. It's just the logistics of getting the thing built, and that you know. He's not. He's not going to be there building it. That's going to be, you know, someone else's job. So I don't. I, I don't think it's that much of a surprise. He's been there since 2015, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's quite years. an attractive. I think it's quite an attractive job for somebody else coming in, though. So I think yeah. they, you know, they should be able to, you know, attract some quality, right? Um, it's not the Edinburgh of old. No, they're, they're if, a club going in the right direction. The interesting thing next, we, we, I'm hoping to have a mini pod later this week with a guy called Ian McCaw who looks at rugby finances and. Um, I think one of the things we're going to talk about is the future of Scottish pro rugby. And so I think the the, the the task for the next person coming in is to make Edinburgh an attractive proposition for an, for an investor to come in. 
because that's that's where I think the SRU probably want to be with Ember in Glasgow is to be in a position where they can say to someone, here, have the franchise, take it off our hands for a bit and we can free up some money to do some other stuff. I So I, I can see that, right? But I'm going to take a slightly contrary view. Just why not? Um, I think they will want to retain some control because what they won't want to do, particularly with such a limited prof- uh, professional game in Scotland, is to end up with you know somebody pumping oodles of money in there and going out and trying to compete with Racing or some of the big English clubs and then drafting in you know name players mm. from overseas because that completely undermines the model that the SRU have been trying to put in place in terms of the, having the international game at the top of that tree. So I think they, they would want to have some sort of structure that would allow to have outside finance, but the general direction and control of those clubs still being influenced to a heavy degree by the SRU because I think there is a real risk. You know, if you if you think back to the days of uh, what were the name of the the guys that tried to take uh, or did have um, was it the Carmichaels or something is, like that? And they've they've written, I think one of them wrote a book that you can get. I, I read a sample of it on um, Kindle. I think one of them wrote a book about it. Um, which you can download on Kindle about the right. Murrayfield. I think it's called the Murrayfield Experience, and it's it's just like it's it's mad. It's just like <laughs> the ravings of some but someone who's very down. disgruntled. Yeah, yeah, but they went down the lines. Oh, we're going to try and go down the lines of getting in. It was not Stephen Larkham that they had signed up, and then Stephen Larkham's knee fell off, and you know he couldn't he could he couldn't fulfill his contract. But you know there were there were rumblings at that point of oh it's really exciting it's going to bring in these named players. But the reason the Scottish national side is in the strong position it is is because Glasgow and Edinburgh have provided that proving ground and and the route through for players and. It, you know, having put all the effort into the academy system and then looking at, you know, the Super 6 and all this sort of stuff that they wanted to put in place, you kind of then would undermine that entire model by saying, here you go, take the toy and go and plug it full of whatever you want to go and do with it. Where, you know, the players would then just drain out of the Scottish game entirely, potentially. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a reasonable point. I think my hands in the ruck, very neatly leading on for that, is the news this week that the um, there are still clubs fighting the super six idea um and still trying to have that argument i think that the the the, um latest line of attack is that there is the governance review that's going to take two years so now all of a sudden we shouldn't now have the super six um and i i I don't know i think i think that argument's been gone i think it's it's time to just let it happen i i don't really get why why the clubs are so keen to, to sort of not to let it happen i think i think that, that their fear is that that by i suppose the only fear really is that they're not going to be able to pay players anymore but guys you know if you're paying players then i kind of i don't really see why as a community or local club you you know should be paying guys anything other than expenses anyway and if you can't persuade someone to play for you for anything other than expenses then you're doing something wrong so yeah i mean i think uh, i think some of what their their their, their issue is Aside from the you know the governance review, which I guess they're hoping is going to show that something needs to be changed and it shouldn't be implemented or whatever, but um, part part of it is also to do with where the sort of the second second fifteens of the the super six clubs are going to play. Obviously, the super six clubs are keen for their second fifteens to kind of stick about in Prem One or whatever, which at the moment I guess is looking at losing sort of six six clubs and having four left, um, which I guess will mean. A lot of promotion from uh, from the next, you know, the next next level down, which could be interesting for clubs like uh, Highland, who are currently um, 
sitting second in uh, in national national two. You know, if there's a if there's um, suddenly if there's suddenly six spots open up in the top top at the top level, that could be interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that you know the clubs want that want their their second team still to play in the Prem One, whereas everyone else is saying, well, you've got the Super Six, that's your thing now. You're um, you know your your second second or third third team shouldn't just automatically expect to kind of pick up where you, where your other ones left off. And I guess yeah, it's things like that. It's it's actually almost what is affecting the next levels of the game down. Yeah. The next levels down of the game. Um, yeah, I kind of yeah, I kind of get that. I think I think the issue though is whether or not below that, so when the, you you get down to the regional leagues, which would then presumably they filter up and supply the you know, national three gap as if everyone shunted up. Whether or not the the teams from those divisions actually want to go up because yeah, you know, for a team like Berwick, go when they went from you know East League One to National Three, that was a huge challenge for them because all of a sudden they haven't a fund a trip to Orkney. Do you know, and, and whether or not they want to go and play in a national, you know, teams like that want to go and play in a national league, or whether they're perfectly comfortable where they are traveling within, you know, their local region. And that's, I mean, there's another argument there as to whether or not below the Super Six you completely regionalize it anyway, because, you know, if, you know, it sort of saves money for everyone. Yeah, Super Six yeah. should be, so, say, so you say that Super Six should be the, that's the, the target to aspire to if you want to play national rugby you've got you've still got the cup competitions and i mean i guess their plan long term is to somehow expand the super six up to say back up to 10 um, and have 10 you know a, a sort of complete semi-professional league running i would guess that would be the sort of longer term aim so yeah there, there's something to be said for that but it's almost how do you sustain that in the meantime while you get while you make sure that Super Six is successful and then it can be expanded without kind of decimating some of the country's biggest clubs yeah i mean i, I would argue that you still need to keep probably prem one and prem you know or other you know and and prem two or whatever it's called these days as, as national leagues i think you need to have a, a level of depth at a national league i think you could then look at national three though right and then saying is that then where you regionalize from that element down because it is i mean you know can the point that you're making obviously around, around beric um and I've seen it with other clubs, you know, around the level that I used to play at, where the, you know they, they they have a couple of good seasons and they're pushing on, and then suddenly, you know, from a logistical and from a finance perspective, it becomes suddenly becomes a much, you know, a much different beast than than just trailing around your own local area. But yeah, and John, um, I think John John Beatty was making. I found an old column from him on the BBC years ago, and he was making the point. You know, it's a bigger it's a bigger ask of players as well because they've got you know they've got other things to do at that level yeah. on a weekend. You've yeah. got families, so. You know, every second weekend having to travel halfway across the country for either a full day or an overnight stay is a. You're going to. I mean, a lot of teams struggle to get players at the best times during harvest and lambing, let alone, you know, traveling overnight somewhere. So I I just. I think there's another. There's another discussion to be had there about. uh, Yeah, outside of. You know, I get the the concerns of the clubs about Super Six teams having their second teams in the, the leagues below, but it's whether or not anyone below that actually wants to come up at all so then there might actually be plenty of space for everyone without you know worrying about whether anyone from below actually wants to come up so i mean there is an easy way to resolve this right that i mean i think there's a trick being missed so i mean it's, it's quite simple i think you go out to the clubs you say look anyone who wants to play national rugby right you send your two biggest props send them to golden acre <laughs> we outload a whole load of nets and tridents and then if there's you know 20 clubs standing at the end of it 20 props standing end of it boom there's your national teams everyone else survival of the fittest guys so you know 
Hunger, yeah. fight, fight to the death. Hunger Games, Scottish rugby style. That's I'm it. sure uh, Mark Mark Dodson would approve of that approach. Yeah, I'm sure we could definitely definitely market it. Yeah. Maybe what was the one that was sell the rights? We could get we could get our very own John Anderson to be the referee. <laughs> so we could, it could be it could be BT Hunger Games. You know, um, from you know, why not do it? Do it in Murrayfield. You could do it on Super Sunday, whatever the game is. You know, where we're we're wrapping everything together at the end of the day. Everyone's had a few pints, getting them on the pitch. I I, I think we're on a winner here. I think there's money to um, be made in their hills. But Battle Royale is all the rage these days. I hear that was it. Battle Royale. I was trying to remember the Japanese film that Hunger Games sort of ripped off. The one. Yeah, have yeah. you watched the, the Japanese film where they just send loads of kids into a forest and like one of them has a sword and then one of them has a plastic fork. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to modernise it though, guys. So you probably parachute them in and then sort of label it as some sort of Fortnite spin-off. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. one. Excellent. That's a good. That's as good a, a point as any to leave it for this week. Um, we will be back next week with a full review of the Wales game. Um, so in the meantime, get in touch with your views, comments, whatever. There'll be um, there'll be some form of. Are we are we planning player ratings or just a match report, Rory? Um, I would imagine there will be there will be player ratings. Um, yeah. Why not? Yeah, so keep an eye on the blog and you can uh, duke it out amongst yourselves as to whether or not you agree with um, when we give everybody 10s after we uh, romp to a victory in uh, Cardiff. Um, But for the minute, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Rory and Al. Goodbye. Goodbye.